Hi there, I'm Adam Burton, and I'm the pastor at Central Baptist Church in Maysville, Kentucky. Thank you for tuning into my online Bible study from the Gospel Project. We are live every Thursday night to study God's Word. This week's Bible study is titled, God Disciplines a Rebellious People. We will see that God's wrath is just, yet it is not without the promise of grace and mercy to those who repent of their rebellion against Him. To let you know where we are going in our study, here are the three points. One, rebellion against God results when the heart is hardened. Two, rebellion against God results when God's word is rejected. And three, rebellion against God results in God's wrath being stirred. We will get to our Bible study in just a moment. Before we do, one of the great things about our online Bible study is that we can engage in conversation. As you watch, let me know what comments or questions you have. Let us know what sticks out to you in this study. Lastly, we would love to connect with you on all of the socials. We are active on Facebook and Twitter, Instagram, and YouTube. Just search for CBC Maysville. Stay tuned to the end for an important message about how you can go deeper into God's Word. Okay, let's get to our online Bible study. In 1981, Rabbi Harold Kushner penned his book, When Bad Things Happen to Good People, raising important theological questions about the existence of God, His goodness, and His authority over evil in the world. Kushner, having experienced the death of his teenage son after a lifelong illness, addresses these questions in a winsome and personal manner, making it easy for readers to resonate with his conclusions. While Kushner is to be lauded for writing a candid book asking readers to wrestle with such important questions related to God and the problem of evil, unfortunately, his theological conclusions are less than biblical. Essentially, he concludes that while God is good and just, the random chaos in the universe is outside his power. The wrongs of life, whether occurring to a good or a bad person, are simply a result of chance and completely unrelated to personal behavior. What are some explanations you have heard for why bad things happen to good people? Maybe everything is the result of random chance, or there is no God, or God is not good, or God is not all-knowing, or God is not all-powerful, or God does not care, or God is evil and capricious, or there is no good people. You know, the author of Chronicles wrote from a distinctly different theological vantage point than Kushner because he believed in an omnipotent God sovereign over his world, where whatever one sows that he will also reap, generally speaking. The theological truth that we reap what we sow is clearly in play as we survey the demise of the kingdom of Judah as recorded in Second Chronicles. God had repeatedly sent prophets to warn Judah of the consequences of their habitual rebellion. In this session, we will see God's promised discipline of His people by means of the Babylonians. The rejection of God's prophets and His word resulted in hardened hearts, outright rebellion, and God's punishment. Yet, as Judah ultimately discovered, God administers discipline as a means of grace in hopes of restoration. We, too, should understand God's discipline as an act of compassion. For those who repent of their rebellion against God, there is prom the promise of mercy and future hope. Our first point is rebellion against God results when the heart is hardened. Rebellion against God results when the heart is hardened. 
Read with me 2 Chronicles chapter 36, verses 11 through 14. Zedekiah was 21 years old when he began to reign, and he reigned 11 years in Jerusalem. He did what was evil in the sight of the Lord his God. He did not humble himself before Jeremiah the prophet, who spoke from the mouth of the Lord. He also rebelled against King Nebuchadnezzar, who had made him swear by God. He stiffened his neck and hardened his heart against turning to the Lord, the God of Israel. All the officers of the priests and, and the people likewise were exceedingly unfaithful, following all the abominations of the nations. And they polluted the house of the Lord that he had made holy in Jerusalem. King Zedekiah was a deceptive ruler and a prideful ruler. The last of Judah's kings was Zedekiah, who reigned for 11 years. He was a deceptive ruler based on his interactions with foreign nations. Though he was installed as king over Judah by Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon, and swore an oath of allegiance by God, he only pretended to submit to Babylon while simultaneously wooing Egypt for help in defeating Babylon. Zedekiah broke his oath when he thought it suited him politically and militarily. The chronicler dedicated more space to recording the acts of good kings over evil kings. For example, chapters 34 and 35 are devoted to describing the 31-year reign of Josiah, Judah's last godly king. In contrast, the author condenses the reigns of Judah's last four kings, totaling around 22 years, into just 14 verses in chapter 36. Kings Jehoiaz, Jehoiakim, Jehoiachin, and Zedekiah lacked not only competency as rulers, but more importantly, devotion to God. Each one did what was evil in sight of the Lord. Zedekiah was a prideful ruler who refused to listen to God's prophet. As the Babylonians laid siege to Jerusalem, the prophet Jeremiah counseled Zedekiah to surrender to King Nebuchadnezzar in hopes of saving the city and the people. Instead of obeying, he allowed Jeremiah to be imprisoned. Over time, Zedekiah's pride resulted in a hardening of his heart toward the Lord. He thought he knew best, and as a result, he failed to grasp the dependency on the Lord's counsel and soon witnessed the consequences of his pride. Pride has a dangerous, numbing effect on our lives in that it inhibits our ability to fully grasp our dependency on the Lord. When pride thrives, our lives are marked by a lack of forgiveness, strangled communication, and ignoring godly counsel. Pride also keeps us from being great as properly defined by Jesus. Think about this. What are some ways we demonstrate pride in our lives? Well, we refuse to listen to counsel from God's Word and God's people. We make choices that do to do what we want and do to do without concern for God's desires. We choose to sin. Right? We, choose, we belittle others to make ourselves look important. We forget to pray. We, fors we forsake the gathering of the church. Sin will take you farther than you want to go, keep you longer than you want to stay, and cost you more than you want to pay, as the saying goes. Zedekiah most certainly experienced this reality in his life. And worse, the ramifications of his actions seeped down from the king's palace to the home of the common peasant. Even the priests, those commissioned with maintaining the temple's purity, were involved in revolting acts. 
Zedekiah and his people, therefore, paid a steep price for their sin and hardened hearts, Judah and Jerusalem's utter destruction. Listen to this quote. Pride manifests itself in so many subtle but lethal ways. In my own life, pride can sometimes be seen in a hidden desire for the praise and admiration of men, an assistance on being right, the desire to be noticed and appreciated, fear of rejection, or just preoccupation with myself, my feelings, my needs, my circumstances, my burdens, my desires, my successes, my failures. These are all fruits of the deadly root of pride. Judah was merely 20 years removed from the revival experienced under King Josiah. Zedekiah was around 10 years old when his father, King Josiah, died. He was old enough to remember a time when godly, a godly man ruled Judah. At that time, it would have been unimaginable for the priests to defile the temple with pagan worship practices. Yet this was the state of Judah under Zedekiah's weak leadership. As Zedekiah, along with the priests and the people, defiled the temple by engaging in detestable religious practices of the pagan nations. Instead of giving himself over to God's glory and humility, Zedekiah pursued his own glory because of his pride. Our second point is rebellion against God results when God's word is rejected. Rebellion against God results when God's word is rejected. Read with me 2 Chronicles chapter 36, verses 15 and 16a. The Lord, the God of their fathers, sent persistently to them by his messengers, because he had compassion on his people and on his dwelling place. But they kept mocking the messengers of God despising his words and scoffing at his prophets. In 2 Chronicles chapter 36, verse 15, the author highlights God's familial love for the people of Judah, displayed in his compassion and patience. God longs for his people to repent without the use of discipline, so he granted them a season of mercy to respond to his loving appeals through the prophets. We shouldn't pass over this without considering our own lives. And now God does the same for us. Now, sometimes God's compassion comes in the form of a friend who comes to rebuke us because of sin they perceive in our lives. The word of correction, it may sting, but sometimes it takes a sting to grab our attention. There are three ways God demonstrated familial love for the people of Judah. First, the chronicler speaks to the long-term nature of God's relationship with Judah in referring to the Lord as the God of their fathers. Pointing to the past, the chronicler recalls to the reader's mind God's persistent faithfulness throughout the generations. The Lord delivered their ancestors out of Egypt, fed them with manna and quail from heaven while in the desert, and secured them for them the great victory over the Canaanites as they entered and conquered the promised land. Second, we read that God's repeated, God repeatedly sent prophets like Jeremiah, Ezekiel, Habakkuk, Zephaniah to warn Judah of the consequences of her disobedience. The author's use of the word persistently conveys the idea of a father pleading with a wayward child to turn from a destructive path. Third, we are told that the posture of God's heart was shaped by compassion for his people and his temple, even after Judah's continual disobedience. Think about this. What are some ways we might respond to a word of correction? And what might those responses reveal about a person's heart? Well, rejection, showing pride and hardness of heart, justification for actions, 
revealing a self-centered heart. Repentance, revealing a humble heart before the Lord. Zedekiah surely did not take the crown desiring for his kingdom's demise. His intentions for his reign likely were good. Unfortunately, good intentions, devoid of godly character, never end well. Zedekiah's pride bear its fruit in verse 16 as he and the people reject God's word through his prophets. Zedekiah lacked the ears to hear God's counsel and lacked the eyes to see God's imminent judgment. In examining Judah's rebellion, we learn that pride leads us to reject God's word. And in its place, we cling to something that better suits our sinful desires. Pride grows in our lives in the most diabolical way imperceptibly from within our own hearts. Before we know it, pride has affected our ability to see rightly on our own ugliness. The Apostle Paul called to renew our minds daily becomes become all more urgent when we consider the deceptive nature of pride. You know, a farmer will tell you that rich black soil is the best soil for growing crops. It contains a greater concentration of nutrients that spur growth. If different sins could be different kinds of soil, pride likely would be the richest and blackest. Pride is the soil in which all manner of sin germinates and grows, whether it is envy, bitterness, greed, deceit, hypocrisy, or arrogance. Consider Proverbs chapter 16, verses 18 and 19. Pride goes before destruction and a haughty spirit before a fall. It is better to be of a lowly spirit with the poor than to divide the spoil with the proud. Listen to this essential doctrine, sin as rebellion. Because the Bible portrays people as responsible beings, called to respond in faith to obedience to God's revelation, the Bible often portrays sin in terms of defiance and rebellion toward God the King. Isaiah chapter 1 verse 2 is one of many passages that describe sin in terms of rebellion against God. Children have I reared and brought up, but they have rebelled against me. Seen in this light, sin is personal and willful disobedience, the raising of a clenched fist toward the one who made us. Think about this. What are some ways we might disdain or reject God's word because of our pride? Maybe not read it. Refuse to submit to the preaching teaching of God's word. Defy God's word in our sin misuse God's word to justify our sinful actions. Our last point is rebellion against God results in God's wrath being stirred. Rebellion against God results in God's wrath being stirred. God's wrath isn't discussed much these days. It doesn't really align with today's modern sensibilities. It is thought to be too callous, too judgmental, too narrow-minded. But because the doctrine of God's wrath is not in vogue is all the more reason for Christians to understand what the Bible teaches about it. Read with me 2 Chronicles chapter 36, verses 16b through 21. Until the wrath of the Lord rose against his people, until there was no remedy, therefore he brought up against them the king of the Chaldeans, who killed their young men with the sword in the house of their sanctuary, and had no compassion on young man or virgin, old man or aged. He gave them all into his hand, and all the vessels of the house of God, great and small, and the treasures of the house of the Lord, and the treasures of the king and of his princes, all those he brought to Babylon. 
And they burned the house of God and broke down the wall of Jerusalem and burned all its palaces with fire and destroyed all its precious vessels. He took the into exile in Babylon those who had escaped from the sword, and they became servants to him and to his sons until the establishment of the kingdom of Persia, to fulfill the word of the Lord by the mouth of Jeremiah, until the land had enjoyed its Sabbaths. All the days that it lay desolate, it kept Sabbath to fulfill 70 years. For too long, the kings, priests, and people of Judah rejected God's word through his prophets. God's wrath was finally stirred up against Judah with her her stiffened neck and hardened heart and no remedy remained. The Lord's acts of judgment was now set in motion with no recourse for stopping it. Like a tool in the hand of God, Nebuchadnezzar and the Chaldeans obliterated Jerusalem. The Babylonians' approach to war was nothing less than barbaric as they massacred the people. The godly suffered along with the ungodly. Children suffered for their parents' sins. Even those who sought the protection of the temple were killed, a sign that God's wrath could not be evaded. The temple was looted and burned, and the city walls were destroyed as Judah reaped the evil she had sown. Some have misguidedly referred to the God of the Old Testament as a moral monster for his wrath demonstrated in passages such as 2 Chronicles chapter 36. But this unbiblical belief fails to understand that God's anger is how goodness responds to evil. God's attributes are never to be pitted against one another. Rather, they are to be understood as working in concert. The biblical authors saw God's goodness and holiness as tied to His willingness to exercise judgment. God's wrath is in perfect proportion to human sinfulness. God is always just in His execution of judgment against sinners. Think about this. What problems arise if we downplay God's wrath in our theology? God ceases to be a God of justice. We have no expectation of God's just judgment against sin either in the present or in eternity. We lose a proper understanding of the cross of Christ as Jesus taking our punishment for sin upon himself to save us and to give us eternal life. It's counterintuitive to think God's wrath against Judah was for her good, but God always accomplishes his good purposes through his actions. Proclaiming the faithfulness of God and grace of God, the chronicler stated that Judah's purification and restoration from her waywardness would come through temporary judgment. A remnant survived the destruction and a 70-year exile and received a promise to return home. These promises were communicated through the prophet Jeremiah, the one King Zedekiah refused to listen to. Rebellion against God unfailingly leads to painful consequences, even when genuine repentance occurs. The exiled remnant would experience God's forgiveness, but it wasn't without great loss. God knew a punishment was necessary for His faithfulness and justice to bring His people to repentance and restoration. Hence the reason His judgment was an act of compassion. When experiencing seasons of adversity, The mature believer in Christ questions if the adversity is simply the result of human fallenness or if it's God's chastisement for sin that we would repent and turn to Him. One way or the other, however, God is disciplining us, and we must not forget that His discipline is for our good and always purposeful. 
Also, we should never interpret God's discipline to mean he has withdrawn his gift of salvation from us. God's judgment for the sin of believers has already fallen upon Christ on the cross. Therefore, God's wrath no longer remains for those who are in Christ. Instead, God uses only faithful, loving discipline to correct his beloved children in their sin and guide them on the path of holiness. God knew all along that Judah's rebellion needed a greater solution than the Babylonian exile. The exile only served only as a temporary bandage to an eternal sin problem. A greater, everlasting judgment was and is coming. God, therefore, kept his promise to King David in preserving a remnant and providing a future king, Jesus Christ. The reality is that God's wrath against our rebellion is only satisfied in the perfect sacrifice of Jesus Christ. Only when we place our faith in Christ are we able to listen to God's word with softened hearts as we proclaim the gospel to a rebellious world in need of rescuing. Because the punishment of our sin has been taken from us and paid by Christ, we listen to God's word with softened hearts, as we proclaim God's patience and righteousness to others while there is still time for them to repent. Here are some ways for you to apply God's word to your life. How will you respond in faith and repentance because of who God is? What are some ways your church can use God's word for correction and encouragement in the faith? With whom will you share God's call to repentance and faith in Christ this week because of the reality of God's mercy and justice? Listen to this quote. God relentlessly offers His grace to people who do not deserve it or seek it or even appreciate it after they have been saved by it. Pray with me. Father, You are holy and just in your wrath against sin, just as you are holy and just in your mercy to sinners because of your grace shown to us in Christ. Thank you for our salvation by grace through faith in Jesus. Now may we humble our hearts, heed your word, and have compassion for those who need to hear your goodness in the gospel of Jesus Christ. Amen. Thank you for watching this week's Bible study. Remember that God's wrath is just, yet it is not without the promise and grace of those who repent of their rebellion against Him. God righteously punished His people for their sin, but He remained faithful to them and kept the promise He had made to David to preserve a remnant and provide a king. Ultimately, God punished sin through His Son, Jesus, and made Him our king forever. Connect with me if you would like to know how Jesus can change your life forever. Would you like to dig even deeper into this week's Bible study? Join our online Bible study Facebook group to get a short study each day. You can find us at facebook.com slash groups slash OBS Central. That's facebook.com slash groups slash OBS Central. Well, if you enjoyed tonight's Bible study, would you share it with your friends? Lord willing, I will see you next Thursday for our online Bible study. God bless.